Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It is first week in December 2020. The year is almost over and it, I'll be honest, the end of the year can't get here quick enough um, for most of us. Uh, since our last episode, we took off last week for the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope everyone had an all right time, whatever you did, hopefully in a very small, you know, intimate setting with just your closest family. Um, since then, it's not been great news um, for the state, for I think all three of us personally in some way or another. Um, I'm joined as always by Bailey Perkins. Hello, Bailey. Hey, Andy. Hey, listeners. And uh, Scott Melson. Hello, sir. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> we, uh, man, just everyone in America is kind of dragging through day to day, week to week. Um, Bailey, you posted on social media this week that you lost your grandfather to COVID. I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, he was in an out, I mean, uh, um, the Lawton Veterans Center. Um, so the facility for um, aging or disabled veterans. And um, yeah, he contracted COVID. Um, and he already had some different complications from falls. Um, and so uh, that, that contracting COVID just exacer exacerbated the, the issues he had. And um, he passed on, uh, what's today, Friday? So I think Tuesday night going into Wednesday. So like mm -hmm. right before midnight, I got a call from my sister saying that, that he passed. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the things we've been talking about and the precautions that we've been discussing, you know, over the past several months um, have really hit home in a real way. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago in our last episode that COVID had affected my family since then. Um, I believe my mom is in the hospital in the intensive care unit. And this morning they put her on a ventilator. Um, so it's legit been the scariest couple of weeks of my life, I think. So um, I will, I have nothing else to say about that besides we're all terrified and um, dad and grandma are at home also terrified, but doing okay. So um, Scott. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, right. Like um, how months ago we were talking about things more theoretical and like talking about like hearsay stories to like today having personal stories of how yeah. COVID is impacting our personal lives. And so it's doing the very thing that we've been talking about as far as how um, the second wave can hit communities in a significant way to where like COVID's not this distant thing that we're reading about on the news. I think a majority of people and including the, the listeners on uh, the podcast can think of a person close to them that has been affected or lost to COVID. Yeah, I um, saw a I saw a stat today that like a uh, poll currently like fifty four percent or fifty eight percent of Americans know someone who's in the hospital with it right now. So not just someone who's had it, but someone who is currently in the hospital. And and I will listeners, I will venture a little more personal disclosure to you, our most intimate of followers, that. Um, 
it that is one of the things that stands out to me that's so just mind-boggling is that you know every day for the last two weeks now three weeks that my mom's been in the hospital you know it's constantly on your mind and she's been able to text with me until today um for most of that time in fact we thought she was going on a ventilator a couple of uh, like a week ago and then we didn't hear anything for several hours like a day and then she texted me and said nope not on the vent um we've been able to kind of facetime but reading her messages right like she's weak and has had all these machines and you know being in the hospital is tough and so even the text messages today that we exchanged shortly before um, they intubated her are just gut-wrenching right and i it occurs to me that while this is very personal to me i am one of tens of thousands of people throughout the country right that are experiencing this with their families today and that every minute that we talk an average of two Americans die from this. Like it is nuts. And we can talk about mask mandates and how we should have them because we should, but it's beyond that, right? Like there's, it doesn't do any good to wear a mask and then walk into a restaurant full of people. It doesn't do any good to wear a mask in your car or at home and then walk into a church full of people and sing like those you can wear a mask walking around Walmart. Great. That's good. You should do that. But when you're doing these other things that totally undercut that, it doesn't do any good. Because you're hurting loved ones like ours. Yeah, like yeah, my yeah. step-grandfather like, stopped eating. Yeah. Um, because the way that the virus was hitting his body and the different things that he was going through. And so the fact that somebody in this enclosed facility was exposed and they probably were asymptomatic. Well, and that's the other thing. Both my, I mean, my grandma contracted it likely from a home health worker that was at her facility, right? That didn't know it. And it is now spread like wildfire. There's 30 cases um, from what we've heard as of today, like in this facility, which is terrifying. And, and Scott, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off, but I'll cut to you in a second. I literally just got a text from a friend that said he and his two brothers were, or he and his brother and his mom were able to go say goodbye to their dad because he's just about, they've taken him off life support from COVID. So like, yeah, like it, this isn't just a theoretical, this is I mean, it's just, life. you know, um, I am <clears throat> so far fortunate in that my, my family has been uh, has been okay, but um, I have, as of today, um, I found out as I was leaving the office today, I've had four patients that I've lost to the coronavirus. I found out one, uh, one right before I left the office today, um, a woman that I've seen for several years, um, whose husband is also in the ICU with COVID and is not doing well. Um, um, so that may be another one soon. Um, I mean, it's, it's awful. And the thing that's just so, God, it's just so, it's, it's like, it's enraging (laughs) to me is that it did not have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. Right. Like it, you know, now like, you know, I, I mean, I love the comparisons to like Taiwan as much as the next guy. Um, The United States is not an Island (laughs) where, you know, you can, you can literally completely control um, entry and exit. So I don't know that we were ever going to have outcomes like that, but man, it didn't have to be this bad. And like, we, 
we made a choice that this is how it was going to be because we haven't as a society, we haven't had the courage to do the things that are necessary to keep it from being like this. You know, I hear some people like they talk about like, well, these people that are letting people inside their restaurants, well, man, like, you know, if I'd gotten a half million dollar business loan um, and put a bunch of my own money in to open a restaurant in the last three years and like, wasn't going to get any support from the government to like try and keep my livelihood open during this time. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know what I would do if I was in that situation. If I would just be like, well, I'm going to close up shop and declare bankruptcy and start over. I mean, like maybe I would, but I'm, I'm not going to promise that that would happen. You know, like, I think, if everybody I think everyone is operating doing, around you. Why would you right. close and right? Exactly. Lose? It doesn't make if, if the government's right. not going to set the right. playing field for everybody. Like exactly. Why? Exactly. We, we have put we've put our businesses in, in an untenable position. We've put our teachers in an untenable position. Our school boards, um, our hospitals, are you know. I mean, we've like. This is a policy choice that we made several months ago. There was a state legislator, a guy that I like and respect a lot, who was on who was on Twitter talking about a small town in Oklahoma and said they haven't had a single reported case. Why should they have to be under a mask mandate? This, like, this is why. To keep this from happening is why. Because you know what? That same town, they have a bunch of freaking cases of coronavirus now. You know, right, right. because like because somebody because somebody because somebody brought it right because somebody brought it and. And that's, that's, that's how it, like, that's how it happens. And I just, man, I, uh, I've, I have, I've been in kind of a dark space for the last week, which is, you guys know from listening, that never happens to me. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, we're, and I don't like, uh, I don't talk about this a lot, like on the podcast or on social media or whatever, because I just don't, but like, um, I, I really enjoy the celebration of like the, uh, liturgical calendar the 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 um christian liturgical yeah. calendar the kind of orthodox calendar and this is like the this is the advent season right <clears throat> the the four weeks leading up to christmas and advent um <coughs> excuse me advent traditionally i i don't think i have covid as far as i know i'm at home um <laughs> um you know, Advent is um, a, a season of uh, waiting. Like um, the idea is like you're waiting, waiting in the darkness for light to come. That's kind of the like long history of, of Advent. And that feels very appropriate to me right now. Like this idea of like waiting in the darkness for some sort of hope. But I also think that we should be like as individuals, as our, our friend groups, maybe our our churches or if, if or whatever faith tradition, if that's part of your life or whatever, whatever group that is that you're a part of that, that you kind of lean to and interact with and have a close relationship with. I feel like one of the things we should just be like kind of meditating on is how did we wind up in this spot? Right? Like how did we wind up with a society where there are so many of us that apparently care so little about even the chance of hurting someone else that we're unwilling to to take like a minor convenience. Like how did we get to this point where we were just this is like what we're okay with? And I don't I, I mean I, I think there's think a lot of complex, put, you know? I think we put even at the beginning of the pandemic this wrong um 
comparison that it's either the economy or the pandemic. The reality is when we don't control the spread and prevent it, it's costing us more money. We're having to spend more money on hospitals. We're having to spend, because I saw someone tweet that Arkansas will be spending a half million dollars that will cover like 10 hospital beds. I mean, we hurt our economy and we're having to to put more resources into this thing because we're like it's good for business and good for the economy when we can get this thing under control. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that we've, yeah. we've yeah. hit one against the other has even caused this idea that like now now we've worsened both at the same time. Right. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. And we yeah. as humans, right? I don't think this is unique to America, but it is certainly highlighted here, but as humans, we are by and large, not great at, um, at, uh, internally weighing risk, like assessing accurately, assessing risk and responding. Um, terrible, terrible. Like like the, um, I, you know, the the number of people who believe that they're going to be become millionaires or billionaires is like inversely related to the number of people who think they're going to get COVID, right? Maybe not at this point. We all, can feel it as community spread, but we have this like belief that things are going to work out and it's going to be okay. And we don't take steps that are appropriately precautionary to prevent things. And then we have to respond. And I think well, to bring this back around to the normal content of our podcast, which is about politics and policy and civic engagement, we see this all the time with public policy, right? Like we are perpetually behind the eight ball, trying to respond to something that we knew was going to happen and we didn't do it. And the one, like, it's not a, it's not a, a it's not a exception to that, but, you know, Governor Stitt's plan to put more money into the rainy day fund a couple of years ago because we would need it for a rainy day. Like we needed a larger rainy day fund and there was all that discussion and show enough, like we did um, need money. And even at the time, like, he caught a bunch of flack for doing it. And I remember talking on the show of like, I, I get why he's catching flack for this, but also like, he's right. Like we are not great about planning for the future. In this instance, you know, there was clearly a pandemic response plan that was thrown out the window early on. Um, we've seen the same thing happen with HIV and other, you know, other pandemics and public health issues. Uh, and so, in fact, the state impact Oklahoma, Catherine Sweeney, has a good segment. If you subscribe to their podcast, it's like a five or 10 minute episode about syphilis and how America had almost eradicated syphilis. And then we like got lax on it. And now it's back and it's raging and it is, um, it's infecting. It's not, we got lax on it because people thought only gay men got it or men who have sex with men. And that is not the case. And it has never been just the case, but they stopped investing in syphilis prevention. And now it's a lot of heterosexual women who are getting it and transmitting it to their babies during childbirth. Um, and it's like, you guys, you knew exactly how to prevent this. Like it's a, it's a shot. It's real easy. And it was a few are. years ago, there was an outbreak of, I think, was it polio again that we saw some? Yeah. Float back. Uh-huh. And then mumps come back. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I knew a person and not my current job, but in a previous job, I knew somebody 
who sat near me, and this is a long time ago, <laughs> who had mumps. And it was just like, is this mumps. the twilight? Like these things like are so preventable and we know what it takes to yeah. eradicate them. And then here we are, to, to your point, Andy, you're so right that we're not good at assessing risk, but we're also punishing people who want to do the right thing in policy. And so we right. saw that recently when Governor Stitt uh, removed um, another person who was in a position that he appointed them to. He removed a person who was, he appointed to the state board of education who supported a statewide mask mandate. Yeah, that's been- um, did, it again, kind of a, did it again today. That's right. So that's kind of been a bombshell thing of news today, right? They That he- Rather, I think the headline I saw said rather abruptly removed someone from their position there and appointed somebody else a a mask, not mask denier, but anti-masker in his place. And it's like, okay, man, there's a there's a a lot of reasons that someone should serve on a statewide education board. The, their opinion about public health is should not be the leading one, right? Um, right. Particularly well, if it's like, contrary to... I mean, even the freaking governor was photographed on a plane, I think yesterday, in the airport and on a plane, wearing a mask, covering only his freaking mouth, right? And I guarantee if you asked him, he'd say, well, <laughs> I've already had COVID, right? <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's infuriating. It sets a poor example. It's disrespectful to people that are risking their lives trying to take care of these patients. It's disrespectful to people who have lost their loved ones. And uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it is an, the, the Blythe, do you think, is, it, is it Blythe or Blith? B-L-I-T-H-E? Blythe? Attitude with which, uh, I mean, maybe, but the, the just kind of, laissez-faire like go along no big deal attitude that so many of our state leaders have had throughout this it's just it's just infuriating yeah. Yeah. and it's really scary when we're overtly removing people or selecting people in positions because they will walk and lockstep with the way that we think it's right governmental leaders should appoint people to positions who we can trust their expertise and knowledge to make good decisions on behalf of Oklahomans. And I understand that you want to select people who share um, similar um, ideological views and similar, um, you know, foundational beliefs, but that's there's going to be moments where you may not have all the answers and somebody may be able to weigh in from their knowledge and expertise. And if we're making these decisions by you're going to get a position only if you do the thing I want you to do exactly the way I want you to do it, then are we really leaning into people's knowledge and expertise to be able to govern in a genuine way. Right. Well, and so let's go back to this, um, the State Board of Education issue, because that there's more to it than just masking, right? Like there's the fact that the previous person, 
so for some quick history is that the the governor appoints members to the state wide or the state board of education there's also an, this other board that's been in the news and that's the statewide virtual charter school board um, and i think this guy bolenbach serves on both um, and he's the one that that um previously the governor had appointed and then today basically kicked off the board uh, and replaced him with this other person now part of the the melissa something i forget her last name I will link to the story in the show notes though. Um, so the other deal going back is that the person that he, the governor said had appointed to the statewide charter school review board, he replaced them. And it was like before the audit, the person supported the audit, all the stuff we've been talking about, the audit of um, Epic charter schools. So then the governor removes this person and reappoints a new person that has familial like financial connection to epic charter schools and so now there's like this huge potential conflict of interest it seems like a conflict of interest uh, and even if it's not an actuality it certainly looks like one my beef with anything like that is that the appearance of a conflict of interest undermines the public's trust in the government right uh-huh. and over the last several years, right? Like we've been dealing with this, I mean, for decades, but when you have someone who comes in that says, I'm going to run the you know government like a business and that we should drain the swamp and get these bums out and, you know, whatever, all the other talking points, but then replaces them with like friends and family and other folks who are not qualified and may financially benefit from their position only because of that. Like that's, it puts their needs or desires ahead of what's best for the public. And this goes to what Bailey said a minute ago that ideally what I think most people want is we want leaders and government officials that have the public's best interests at heart, right? Like that that's the goal and situations like this undermine that. And it drives me bananas. Bailey nods in agreement. Yeah. 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 I haven't, I, I have nothing else to, I just, I'm sorry. I'm kind of, I mean, I think all of us are, I don't, I don't really know how to describe my headspace today. I mean, like the, you know, um, I think all of us are feeling this from very different angles, you know, I mean, I'm not, not, not to presume how either of you feel, but I would guess that Bailey, you're feeling this like acute loss of a beloved person and, Andy, you're feeling this like fear and tension of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And like, I'm feeling the anxiety of the, the fear of those things in, in my family, as well as just the like uh, kind of exhaustion and um, um, feeling like, you know, you're trying to, trying to, trying to beat back a tidal wave with, <laughs> with, you know, like a, a, a a bucket a, a water bucket and like i don't even work in the hospital typically right like um you know and you've got people that are in the hospitals and the emergency rooms and the icus it's just this like yeah it's just i think i don't know man it's like a sense of doomless. like it, it goes back to like leadership and 
broader policy decisions because even like our own little individual actions isn't going to stop things systemically and we need bold leadership at this time to really um, stop the spread and reduce the number of families that have to suffer um, and so we even are seeing um, districts that are experimenting because we talked about this you know before the podcast started experimenting with the idea of doing um, in school quarantining um, as a way to help schools go back in person, uh, even though this hasn't been tried any other place in the country, right? And so... Well, they've created a leper colony of children who have COVID and they're just putting them all in the cafeteria together and let them be there. And like from a- I don't even know which students have COVID if some of them may be asymptomatic unless you're testing every student every day. And that's not going to happen. Right. No, there's just people who are symptomatic or, or I've had a test for whatever reason. And, but those students still have to walk through the hallways and go around and, you know, do all the other things. And, and I, I think from like a public health perspective or like a, a, an infection control perspective, I get this, right. The same reason that we, you know, quarantine highly infectious patients in certain wings or hallways of a hospital to limit the potential exposure around. However, these are children. You need faculty. This is not, this is not a hospital. This right, is a not a hospital. <laughs> also, <laughs> like, just let, let's say you do it, right? Let's imagine you've got a classroom or even a hallway and all of those classrooms are full of kids that have COVID. At the end of the day, they all leave. Like, so are you having them come and go from an outside door, perhaps at the end of the hallway. But then what about the all the teachers, all the aides, the janitors? Picture yourself walking down near that hallway and like the sense of like, I guarantee everyone would be like, the air feels heavy with the virus, right? Like we would, you would just have this sense and it's, it is unnecessary risk, I guess is the thing, right? Or those kids who have COVID, what if they have to ride the bus? to go to school yeah, and go right, home. Right. And then they decide, you know, the kids are, are being kids and they take their mask off or they're not wearing it properly. I mean, it's still um, raising risk of kids who may have to go back to their grandma and grandpa because right. they're cared for by somebody who has an underlying condition and raises the risk of them bringing home COVID to a family member who could then be endangered. And so I just, it, it's, it's really scary that we're prioritizing this principle of like getting back to normal more than what are the precautions that we need to take to keep everyone safe and slow the spread. Yeah. And I guess it's an, an unwillingness to make difficult calls on what we're going to prioritize. Right. And like to Scott's point, you know, if you are, a, I have several friends who, you know, own restaurants and like they're having to make heartbreaking decisions, right? Tower Theater, um, you know, decided to close for the rest of the year, basically. Like, and we had, you know, had events planned and tickets sold and um, they're, you know, struggling. Like tons of places are having to make very difficult decisions. And there's a room, there's a space for a policy solution to these, right? But instead, you know, they're arguing about, who knows what and instead of trying to provide relief to people who need it right so it's or and, this, this whole focus on prayer and fasting and thoughts and and 
not anything tangible related to actionable policy decisions, right? right? right. And so mm-hmm. it is really frustrating that we're electing leaders who are not choosing to make decisions, but rather share platitudes with the public. And right. Because if the governor had said, you know, I'm declaring tomorrow a day of statewide prayer and fasting, and I'm also issuing a statewide mask mandate, like, then people understand, like, it's not one or the other. But when you leave out the science proven right. one and you just do the other one, you know, I'm like, well, you you invited negative press. You didn't have to. I, and maybe he would have gotten some, but notably less you know, negative press um, if he had done them, done them both. So I don't envy any of these leaders, to be clear. They're in terrible, you know, I've spoken to several mayors um, and other statewide elected officials in the last few weeks, um, many of whom have reached out with um, thoughts and prayers and, you know, about my family as well. And um, I appreciate that. And we've had honest conversations of like, this sucks. You know, like there are, there are no good decisions. Everybody wants kids back in school. Everybody wants businesses to open, but like, I want to go see my grandma. I want to do that again. Yeah. Like, Like, and there's things you just can't right. Do like, I want to talk to my mom, but I can't because she's unconscious. Right. Like, um, and so, yeah, it's just sucks. It does suck. Scott's right. We're trying to have a policy discussion here and we all have heavy hearts. Listeners, I'm, you probably didn't bargain to just. This is the consequence (laughs) of not making policy choices, right? Yeah. Like there are real like experiences that um, harm people. Like, like this is, this is, like the after effect of the things that we've been talking about over, you know, the past several months. And it's just, it's wild that like, like I mentioned in the beginning that we went from talking about what other people have seen or what was happening in the news to now being able to talk from personal experience on them. Yeah. So, I mean. Having explained to my kids what a ventilator is and why, you know, in my, in fact, my, it's my two older kids, you know, from a previous marriage and their mom, I had let her know and she told the kids about it and it kind of explained. And so I was talking to him the other night and my son who's eight says, yeah, you know, he said, is BB still on the ventilator? I was like, well, it's, you know, not right. She wasn't at the time. Now she is. And he's like, yeah, mom said the, it's hard to get off of them because your body gets used to using the breathe. And I was like, that's exactly right, son. Like, and it's uh, a weird reality to have your six and eight year old, be able to explain the the risks <laughs> and benefits of a ventilator, right? Uh, that was that was not on the bingo card for this year, as they say. Um, so we've got uh, about ten minutes left, and my preferred coping mechanism is intellectualization and just pulling back into my brain and out of my heart. And so there's something important happening next week that I can intellectualize and talk about for a few minutes. And that is the fact that, and it relates to all of this, that the state legislature will begin hosting their redistricting town hall meetings next week. Um, There are going to be, they've scheduled 18 town hall meetings around the state 
over the next two months, some in December, a bunch in January. They There are two in Oklahoma City. There will both be at the state capitol. There will be two in the Tulsa area. Uh, and then the other 14 are in rural areas. So Ardmore, Lawton, Chickasha, Ada, Enid, um, Pryor, Lane. You know, there's um, kind of all of those. The two major metros, the the next biggest cities, and then a couple of smaller towns. Some of these are hosted by the House. Some are hosted by the Senate. Um, they've tried to sprinkle them around. And there's virtual options. And there are virtual options from what I heard from the House Redistricting Office, um, I called to ask all this. Very helpful staff, great people over there. And many of the House staff are like nonpartisan staffers who are just doing this. So the the House, for their events at least, they will be streaming it on the House website, okhouse.gov, which is, they're using the same software like interface that they use to stream committee rooms and floor, all that stuff. So it'll be archived and everything else which is good. The downside, of course, is that it's a one-way virtual option. It's a view only. You can watch it and see what they have to say, but there's not a way in real time to ask questions or give feedback to them. If you want to ask questions or give feedback, you have two options. Um, you can submit it to your own House or Senate representative or senator, or at least the, the House has like a House Redistricting Office website set up, and you can submit it as a form there, and there's a email address that's like house redistricting 2020 something i forget exactly but if you go if you google oklahoma house redistricting office you'll find it they do have a ton of information on there they've got the last 20 or 30 years of maps a pretty good overview of the process i think the house is is following up on their promises to try to make this open and transparent we haven't gotten to the actual drawing of the maps yet um, so we'll wait and see what the outcome is but uh, so far, I've been uh, relieved. I do wish, to pursuant to our conversation, that they would make the decision to postpone these meetings. We definitely need to have them. But like, if we are looking at a vaccine rollout beginning next week uh, and continuing you know, for the next several, several months, there is no reason that they couldn't cancel the meetings like this month and just reschedule them for later. It's going to be a busy year. like We know that. And I get that you know, finding spaces and all this stuff is going to be difficult. But in the interest of the, if you really want public input and you really want to keep the public safe, the right thing to do is to postpone the meetings. It's like, we've all postponed events for that reason. Like that's what you got to do. Um, from, I, I will speak, I'll put on my hat of people, not politicians. We want to help you be involved. Uh, we want to help explain the process. We want to direct you to the legislature's resources, as well as resources that we have at our disposal. Um, so we're gonna be hosting a series of webinars in December and January that are about the redistricting process. They are about how to participate in public meetings. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a brief version, but I would encourage you, the League of Women Voters of Seattle, Washington actually, has a thing called Speak Up School, and it's like a multi-module online training about how to participate in public meetings and give public testimony, and it's great. Um, they gave me kind of a preview of it. I'm going to adapt some of that for this, um, but if you really want an in-depth thing, it's a good, a good free resource. Um, and then we also are going to do a series of trainings about this 
really cool online tool called Representable. It's representable.org. And it was uh, created by folks at Princeton University, the Princeton Gerrymandering Project. And basically it allows you to go on and draw your community. So your community of interest, right? So your neighborhood or the people that go to your school and it automatically brings in census blocks. So as you move your cursor around, you can't do it down to the street, but you can do it based on census block um, and you can do block groups if you want to zoom out some. And so it's really interesting one to see what those census blocks look like, census tracts. And because there's some places you're like, well, why can't I just pick my little neighborhood? And it's like, well, because the census block includes half of the neighborhood next door or whatever. But we can, uh, we are compiling all of that. So everyone who submits, it'll, um, if you go to our um, People Not Politicians community mapping drive thing, you can draw your map. It gets aggregated in there. It shows everyone who submitted stuff and we can export all of that as a file that the legislature can drop into their map making software and set it like as a layer and they can see like visually what the people of Oklahoma identifies their communities so they can consider that as they draw maps. You can, you can send them a message and tell them, you can say, Hey, listen, everyone in this part of town has horses and we all ride on these trails out here. And this is all kind of our territory, even though it's not, it may cross over a city line or a county boundary or something, but this is, it's a really cool tool. So I went on and did a few the other day, um, the link for that. And I will put this in the show notes. If you just want to go to our community mapping drive, it is, um, representable.org slash drive slash people hyphen, not hyphen politicians. That's a very long website address. And that's why I will put the link in the show notes. So if you're listening, just, you know, scroll down to that and find it. And Andy, what I love about that is it would be a great compliment to have when you participate in these meetings. Yeah. Because A, you'll be able to see how you would design districts yourself, but also be able to communicate that with the lawmakers and be able to call them out if you're like, uh, I saw that you intentionally moved this this way. And I think we need to shape the district this way for X reasons. And so um, that's such a cool tool that I definitely encourage people to do um, before they go into the redistricting meetings. Yeah. Also, another great online tool is Dave's redistricting. Uh, if you Google Dave's redistricting, uh, you can find it very easily. Um, it's uh, Dave is a guy and there's a bunch of other people with him that are volunteers and created this really great portal. And you can go on and move your cursor around and it goes by um, census tract. And in real time, you can see the, all the census data. So you can, it'll show you for each block, the racial and ethnic breakdown, the gender breakdown, maybe age, excuse me, but it has like the partisan um, affiliation. And so you can see it, you can see the maps are drawn right now and then you can see this. And they've also drawn maps like a few different ways for our congressional districts and our state Senate districts, they've drawn them as, you know, like um, very compact, like where you prioritize, prioritize compactness, where you prioritize um, uh, racial fairness, where you prioritize political fairness, kind of all these things. And it's interesting to see just different ways to draw the maps. Um, and that is also really helpful. It's a, 
It's a super cool, super useful site. I've played down with it a little bit. I would also remind our listeners that uh, back in the day, in the pre-COVID times, um, and this was prior to Bailey joining us as our co-host, though, uh, Andy, you and I did yeah. an episode with Dr. Keith Gaddy of the University of Oklahoma, where we talked all things redistricting, and we talked about packing and cracking and compactness and political fairness and communities of interest and all these sorts of things. So I would encourage listeners to dive into the Let's Pod This archive and find that, along with a couple other episodes we did on redistricting, um, to brush brush up up to snuff that's a good on reminder your, uh, yeah on all things redistricting i have i can so we did we did we did four four or five uh yeah pretty deep dives on redistricting and how it works and you know what what they have to prioritize and all these sorts of things yeah interesting i guess if we want to take a holiday break we could just replay all those episodes <laughs> um, but yeah they were they were really good yeah, it was a deep dive into redistricting and how it's done because um, the good thing is, is it's outlined how the process is supposed to work and what they're supposed to uh, keep in mind. And so that doesn't change over time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, and um, last night, the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma hosted an online forum with Senator Michael Brooks and Representative A.J. Pittman, um, who are both. Uh, respective co-chairs of their chambers redistricting um, committees and they kind of went through the basic overview and the slides and talked about the process and um, it was some of the you know viewers were like so do you guys think it's a good idea for lawmakers to draw the maps and you know they were both like well you know now that i've learned more about it i don't think so um, and i was like sitting there going thank you right like once you learn about it you're like no it's crazy that they get to draw their own districts because why that, why wouldn't you think about your own interests right why, why would you not well and and they also had a representative from the league of women voters us the national organization um and she went over the league's like kind of nationwide criteria for fair maps they have a whole fair maps um, initiative. And one of them is that you should not consider the, where the incumbent lives, right? Because the person who lives in that district today might not even run in that district in two years. Right. And so it's ridiculous to draw, draw districts that will be in place for 10 years and to consider who happens to be elected from that district right now. And they (laughs) shortly, before that, I guess, when they went through the slides, like that is one of the criteria that the legislature um, explicitly considers. And so it's like, well, there there we go, right? Like, at least they admit it. I'm like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to draw it and we're going to consider where we live. It's like, okay, man. So um, part of my plan with people, not politicians, is to compare the legislature's approach to what we were proposing with our independent commission approach just so that voters can see like how they're doing it versus how we would do it differently. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think once you see it, you understand that one way is much better than the other. Selfishly. Not even selfishly, Agreed. but for transparency's sake and for the sake of doing it in a nonpartisan way. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I smell smoke in my house, and that means either my wife is cooking something or we're going to die in a fire. So we probably should wrap up the episode either way because 
I'm interested in both those outcomes. That's awesome. <laughs> well, hopefully it's the first one. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. All right. All right. Uh, Friends, I hope that you have I hope that you have <clears throat> a very safe weekend and I hope that you get time with your families and time to sit and reflect and, and you know, just kind of process all the things. Thanks, man. I, I plan to eat pizza with my kids and hang out. Watch a holiday movie or two. Hard to beat that. Yeah. Hard to beat that. Scott Bailey, thank you for being here. Thank you, Andy. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. I'm going to stop doing this closeout uh, monologue because no one listens and it's not important. Uh, the podcast is done by us for you. We love you. Stay safe. Have a good week. Thank you.